you would please in your Bibles, let's stand and we'll read our text this morning. Psalm chapter number 88. A psalm or song for the sons of Korah to the chief musician, upon Mahalath, Leonoth, Mishal of Heman, the Ezraite. Ezraite, excuse me. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee, incline thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Selah. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee, and I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Selah. Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark, and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, in the morning shall my prayer prevent me. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die, and from my youth up, while I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me, thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water, they compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me, and mine acquaintance into darkness. Billy, would you ask God to bless the preaching, please? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In my flesh, I was hoping for a very encouraging psalm this morning. And I got looking at this one and I'm like, my goodness, I cannot find, I, I, I can't find one encouraging verse. I found one encouraging phrase. Look at it. The first verse. O Lord God of my salvation. Outside of that, this entire psalm is a complete drag. Next week it'll be better, but this week this is the one God has for us. What I want to preach to you from in this psalm is when you're in despair. Now what I want to understand, and I want to make sure that we get this, is what despair actually means. Despair is the complete loss or absence of hope. If you look at this psalm, you're looking at a man here who is in a complete, absolute, it's a travesty, the situation that he's in. He's in such a mess. Look at verse number one. He cries day and night before God. He's literally so messed up. He is crying night and day. He's waking up in the middle of his sleep crying. I don't know if you've ever, that's ever happened to you, but for most of us, that's only going to happen a couple of times in your life if it 
hasn't happened to you, you've lived a pretty charmed life, and if you're young, stick around, because sooner or later, it's probably going to happen to you, where it gets so bad that you wake yourself up in your sleep. I'm not talking about a bad dream. I'm talking about a reality going on in your life that you cannot escape from, and it's so bad, your heart is so broken, that you're sleeping and there's pain in your chest and pain in your gut, and you wake yourself up crying. That's the situation this guy's in, and very few of us are there this morning. Very few of us in the room have ever been there. And those who've been there have been there very few times in their life. Notice, number two, the prayers of this guy aren't being answered in verse number two. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry. He's crying out to God, and God's not listening. Look at verse 13. But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I'm afflicted and ready to die. From my youth up, while I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. He's so messed up, he can't even think straight. We're talking about despair, folks. We're talking about everything. Your world has come crashing in on you. Everything is an absolute travesty, and you cannot pull yourself out of it. And on top of crying day and night, he's crying out to God, and God's not answering. Verse 16, thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and my acquaintance into darkness. Number three, he's not just crying day and night. And number two, his prayers not being answered. But number three, he's troubled and terrified. Look at it in verse three. My soul is full of troubles. Verse 16, Thy fierce wrath goeth over me, thy terrors have cut me off. As if crying day and night's not enough. As if crying out to God in prayer and God not answering, not coming through, God saying, No, stick with your misery. The heavens are brass because God's not hearing and God's not responding. As if that's not enough. To make it even worse, he's troubled and the troubles are billowing up in him and he's terrified at what he's going through. But there's more. He lost all his friends and remains in a deep, dark place alone. It's one thing to cry day and night. It's one thing to feel like God's not answering your prayers. It's one thing to feel troubled and afraid. But have your wife or your husband or your kids or your grandkids or your mom or your dad or a good friend of yours sitting by your side in the middle of it. Saying, I'm here. But not this guy. This guy's got all this on him and nobody is there to help him. It's like being put in solitary confinement. Locked up, without the sound of any human interaction anywhere at any time. Trying to get a hold of God and God not answering and not showing up. And zero relief. While you've got broken bones, infection going on in you, uh, running a really high fever. Your lips are sticking together because you're so dehydrated. And you're dying and nobody cares. We're talking about despair. Talking about absolutely no way out. 
On top of all that, he's lost all his strength and is brought down deep into some kind of a pit. Verse 11, shall thy loving kindness declare in the grave or thy faithfulness in destruction. His strength is gone. And he's locked up deep and low somewhere. That's scary. And look at verse 7. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy ways. It is God terrifying and beating and punishing and pouring out his wrath on this man in this passage. That's a messed up chapter. You know the Psalms are wonderful? Do you know these are songs? Do you know what gets you through the hardest times in your life is that Bible in your lap. And that Bible is so real and so raw and God shows you so much in that thing, you can't ever go anywhere in your life and escape the application of that Bible. Amen. I'd be willing to bet you some of you have cried a river of tears. Actually, I know for a fact you have. But I'm here to tell you that nobody has been at this place. Nobody in this room has been here. What we're not talking about this morning, we're not talking about the problems and the despair and the trouble of a sluggish economy. We're not talking about the, oh, what are we going to do? Because Biden gets back in or worse yet, Hillary or whatever your problem is. That's like child's play and it's stupid and who even cares either way? Because Donald Trump nor DeSantis nor anybody else is your answer to prayer. I ain't talking about that. I'm not talking about bills from the IRS. I'm not talking about, and listen, I'm not, this isn't personal, okay? I'm not talking about a bad back. I'm not talking about arthritis. Folks, we're not even talking about cancer. We're not talking about, you know, all the ails, that problems that we have. And I'm not, please, please hear me, okay? I'm not mocking or belittling any of your problems or mine for that matter. So please don't take this message like, oh, I can't go talk to pastor about that because he's going to think I'm not spiritual. That is not what I'm saying. That's what the devil tries to get you to hear when I'm preaching. I'm trying to put into perspective some of your problems so that it can help you bear your problems. Do you understand the goal of this thing? And what to do when you're in despair. I am not talking about the fact that your husband's a grouchy jerk and he's not the man he was when he married you and he hasn't bought me flowers in so long and I hate that idiot and all he does is snore and keep me up all night. Folks, I'm not talking about the fact that she's a stinking nag and won't shut up. I'm not talking about the fact that your little brats are brats like everybody else's brats and don't listen and you got to chase them around and try to discipline them and they put stress between you and her because you don't agree on how to deal with them, which that's another subject and message. I'm not talking about the fact that you got a wayward teenager. Those are problems, aren't they? We're not talking about those kind of problems. We're talking about despair. We're talking about something supernaturally deep and supernaturally dark. We're talking about something like the world has never seen yet. Now the encouragement in this is this. This doctrinally does not apply to you. Thank God for that. 
I'm going to show you doctrinally how we're going to apply this and who it does apply to, and then we're going to make some spiritual application to you and I to help bring into focus the problems that we have and the issues that we have and the heartbreaks that we go through that might help encourage you a little bit that, hey, listen, there's a deeper despair that's been suffered for you that you will never have to suffer because it's already been taken care of, and thank God for it. We'll get there in just a minute. First, I want you to see what this doctrinally applies to, and I'm going to do something a little bit abnormal for a Sunday morning. If, if you would, I'm going to run some references with you. Now, let me say this before we start. If you can get to these passages quick, I tried to do it in a real easy way. I'm going to start back in Revelation, and I'm going to work my way back to Psalms, okay? So you'll keep going. You'll go all the way to the right. I don't trust myself after last week. <laughs> go all the way to the right, and you'll work your way back towards Psalms. But if you have a hard time finding the books, get out a pen and a piece of paper and jot the references down and look later at what I'm saying. But listen, and what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to give you some tools to help you understand that book in your lap and see the power of it. It's an amazing Bible. So doctrinally, Psalm 88 applies to the Jew in the tribulation period. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go back with me, if you would, to the book of Revelation. We're going to start back there. Revelation, and look at chapter number 6. Now, now please hear me clearly, okay? Some of you probably do not understand this, what I'm going to show you. And for those of you that do, just bear with us, because you need to hear it again, and God will give you something throughout this first point that you've never seen before. That's the way He does it if you want to get something. But for a lot of people, they've never seen this. And if you don't understand what I'm going to show you, listen to me clearly. If you don't understand what I'm going to show you, your doctrine will be a soup sandwich. If you don't understand what I'm going to show you, there will be corrections in the Bible that you're reading. I didn't say the Bible's wrong. The Bible's right. But when you read your Bible, you will see verses that don't match up with each other. And so you'll say, well, it says here one thing and here another thing. And so what you're going to be forced to do is you're going to be forced to either change that verse, rewrite it, find a version that fits what you think it should say, or you're going to have to say, well, it doesn't mean what it says and here's why. And what the Bible says that is, is resting the scriptures to their own destruction. So you'll take that passage and you'll say, well, I know, but we know we can't lose our salvation. And that says you can... Since we know we can't, that's not what it means. You're a Bible corrector. I don't care how much you beat your chest about King James 16.11 and all the rest of that stuff. You're a Bible corrector if you ever twist the Bible to say it doesn't mean what it says. We're not going to do that in this church. I'm going to show you what God says about these texts and who it applies to. Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, they're in a dark place saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, doth thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? 
So they're saying, God, when are you going to answer our prayers? God, we've been slaughtered, we've been killed, we've been butchered, we've been murdered for the name of Jesus Christ. How long till you're going to come and avenge our blood? Now, wait a second. If you're going through the tribulation period, how could this possibly apply to you? Because Paul's made it clear that for you in the church age, you're absent from the body and present with the Lord. These souls don't go where you go the way you get there. Look at the next verse. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Folks, this is somebody different than you and I. This is somebody in the tribulation period that's coming on this earth that actually dies for their testimony and for the word of God, and that is part of their plan of salvation. I'll show you as we go through more verses that if they deny the name of Jesus Christ in the point of persecution, if they deny the name of Jesus Christ when they're in despair, they lose their salvation. Now these jacklegs that tell you you're not getting called out before the tribulation period, need to come back and explain how the Bible says there's a different plan of salvation. You ever read Acts 2.38? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did you receive the Holy Ghost? You. Born-again Christians in the church age, how did you receive the Holy Ghost? By getting baptized? Well, that's in the New Testament. Now, I'll just throw this out there. Grab what you can grab and just ask God to give you a little bit at a time, okay? And it'll make sense as time goes on. He said unto the Jew first, right? Also to the Greek. In Acts chapter 2, Paul wasn't saved, was he? Paul gets saved over there in Acts 9. In Acts 7, they stone Stephen. Stephen looks up and sees the Lord standing. You know what they're still giving him? They're still giving him the baptism of John. He sees the Lord standing because that was a message to Israel, the nation of Israel. And Israel stoned Stephen. He saw the Lord standing because Jesus was going to come back at that time. You wouldn't even be here if Israel had repented and trusted their Messiah in Acts chapter 2. The church age is a... Anybody know? It's a mystery revealed to Paul. Paul wasn't saved yet. You know what happens in the tribulation period? If they receive the mark of the beast, you know how they get it washed off? The only chance of salvation after they've received that mark. Baptism. Remember Naaman? The only possibility, according to the Bible, is he had to go get baptized to wash the leprosy off of him. And they're told to repent and be baptized. That's the only chance they got, the only possibility, is for them to get baptized to wash that mark off. That ain't to you doctrinally. You, can, you cannot leave the Bible alone and believe that. You have to twist it to make it fit. That's not all. Not even close to all. Look at verse 14. The heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and rich men, and chief captains, and mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said of the mountains, fall on us, and under the mountains and rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? You know what you're told in Thessalonians? You're told you're delivered from the wrath to come. You're not going through the wrath. I'm going to show you why by the time we're done with this message. 
The wrath of God is coming on this earth in the tribulation period, and again it's coming in the hell for eternity. Go to the book of James. Keep going back to your left. Hebrews, then James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. We're not changing the Bible. We're looking at it and we're letting it say what it says without twisting it. Look at James chapter 2 and look at verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is what? Was not Abraham our father justified how? By works. When he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar, seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Abraham's justified in one passage, and seven chapters, I believe it is, later, he's, he's, he's uh, got imputed righteousness. The imputed righteousness is first, the justification came later. You know, when you got saved, you got imputed righteousness and justice, justification at the exact same time by the blood of Jesus Christ? Yes. But they say Abraham was saved the same way you are by faith, looking forward to the cross. Hogwash. Where do you get that from a Bible? And they say in the tribulation period, they're saved the same, saved the same way you and I are. Hogwash. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of what? The gospel of the grace of God? It's the gospel of the kingdom. You know what Paul gave you? Paul gave you his, he said, according to my gospel. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. That's the church. That's you and me. It don't match up. There's angels flying in heaven in the tribulation period preaching the everlasting gospel. They don't line up. They don't match. This salvation was different. Look at verse 24. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith. You know what they say? Well, that means justified in his daily walk. Okay, where's that at? What are you talking about? Because it's giving you justification and imputed righteousness. You can't get out of that. That's very clear. He's talking about something you have to have to go to heaven. It doesn't match your gospel. Look at the next thing. Likewise, also was Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This is why a lot of people believe that you get saved by faith and you keep it by works. They tell you you can lose your salvation because they believe passages like this and they try to mesh them with Paul's gospel, but they don't match. So you have to figure out who it's applying to. Look at James chapter 1 verse 1. Now watch this. Folks, I'm telling you, it's so simple. The problem is not the Bible. The problem is man's willingness to let God be true and every man a liar. And some people just say, if you say it's any other way at any time, then they get all like, oh, we're saying it's not about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Hello, genius. In the Old Testament, they didn't go to heaven. They went to Abraham's bosom and waited for that blood to be shed. Since he shed his blood, he gets to call the shots and he tells you how it is. It's always by faith. How can it be by faith in the millennial kingdom when he's sitting on a throne in Jerusalem? Because faith is substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. You know what happens in the kingdom? They go back under stuff you read in the book of Matthew. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. 
if you don't forgive your brother their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. So if you don't forgive your brother, you lost your salvation? No, not you. You can't lose it. What's that? That's the gospel. That's what happened in the, in the millennial kingdom. That Bible's a, that's an amazing book you got. It's wise, boy, that book you got in your lap. You better not correct it or you'll mess it up. And your doctrine will be a soup sandwich. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the church which is in Ephesus and Galatia and Colossians and Corinth. I ain't what it says, is it? It says, to the twelve scattered abroad. Well, I mean, who could that possibly be? <laughs> that's a Jew in the tribulation period. That's not all. It gets worse. If that doesn't have your, your uh, you know, I'll say it nicely. If that doesn't have you offended yet, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, of ourselves together. This is one of the favorite verses of preachers to try to get you to be faithful to come to church, and it's a decent application. But doctrinally, let's look at who this is talking to, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another... And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Um, Listen, nowadays churches are gathering less and less. They need the messages shorter and shorter to keep people's attention. God said more. So that's why we decided not to drop our Sunday night and our Wednesday night service. And switch to small groups so you can hang out at somebody's house and sip coffee and everybody can figure out, what do you think it means? What do you think it means? No, we're going to come to church and we're going to sit and listen to the Bible preached and taught. Look at verse 26. For if we sin willfully, anybody done that? Since you've been saved, has anybody like made a bad decision knowing it was wrong and did it anyways? So has your preacher. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Have you received the knowledge of the truth? Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Have you received him as your personal savior? According to this verse, you're in a lot of trouble. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God? And hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and done despite under the spirit of grace. For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you see why a lot of churches teach you that you can lose your salvation if you sin willfully after you receive the knowledge of the truth? But don't you believe you're eternally secured? Yes. That's not all. Look down at verse 36. For you have need of patience after that, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Yet a little while, and he shall, that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition. 
but of them that believed in the saving of the soul. You know what these guys will do? These lion dogs, you know what they'll do? They'll say, well, that doesn't mean that. Perdition just means the destruction of your life. Anybody know what the son of perdition is? Give me that garbage. And just to make sure you can't get out of it, unless you decide you're going to reject the Bible because it doesn't fit your theology, he says, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Folks, doctrinally, that ain't you. What book are we in? To the church in Israel? It's to the Hebrews. In Romans 11, he tells you that he didn't spare the natural branches. He won't spare you, Gentiles. And when he breaks you off, he's going back to Israel. So this thing that the church has replaced to Israel and we got the promises to the Jews is a bunch of hogwash. You ain't a Jew. And God's not done with his people and he's not done with his land and he's coming back to set that thing up. These people in Psalm 88 that are falling apart, that's Jews in the tribulation period where they're in absolute darkness and the wrath of God is on them, and the devil's after them, and hell gets let loose. I mean, literally, we've seen it as we're going through Revelation. Hell gets let loose on those people, and the demons of hell are coming after them. Like the stuff you watch on TV for entertainment is desensitization to get you ready for all that's coming. And the rest of the wildness you're seeing nowadays with the UFOs and all the rest of that stuff has been prophesied a long time by preachers that everybody said were crazy. Second Timothy chapter 2, please. I got more references here than I'm going to get to this morning. I think, I, I think we've made the point. But I got, a lot more, I got a lot more to show you. There is no question doctrinally that you aren't losing your salvation And you don't have to worry about this stuff that's happening in Psalm 88 at the same level as you're reading it in Psalm 88. But I will tell you this much, you'll hit some bad times in your life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, are you there? Look at verse 11. I'm just making sure I said it right and I didn't say something else the way I've been going lately. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with Him, are you saved? Then you're dead with Him. Look at this. We shall also live with him. Because he's alive forevermore, then when you die, he's going to raise you up too. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. What is the context or the requirement or the prerequisite to reigning with him? You're going to reign with him in the millennial kingdom. If now you're willing to suffer. Watch the next verse. Uh, No, no, more in that verse. If we deny him, watch it, he also will deny us. Now here's what you can do if you want to be just a complete crook. You can jump to a conclusion right there and pull that verse out of its context, not looking at everything around it and what's being talked about, and you can make it say that if you deny Jesus, he's going to deny you and you're going to go to hell. And then you run over to Matthew, and then you run over to Revelation, and you run over to Hebrews, and you go to James, and you confuse them a little more with Acts, and then you got them all thinking they can lose their salvation. But that is not what that's saying. Because look at the rest of the verse. Look at the rest of the passage. Don't take it out of context. Read it the way God said it. If we believe not, I used to be saved, but I'm not anymore. Sorry about your luck, joker. If you got saved, if you really got saved, whether you believe it or not anymore, you're still saved. 
And I'm going to show you why in just a couple of minutes, because an intellectual human standpoint, that's like, that doesn't make any sense. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. In the church age, when you got saved, what did he do with you? He put you into the body of Jesus Christ. You are his bride. You are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. You two have become one. His spirit is in you. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, it doesn't matter what you do. You can't lose your salvation. Not in the here and now. Yeah, in the tribulation, they're gonna. In the millennium, they can. In the Old Testament, they could. That's why David said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He was afraid of going to hell. But you don't ever have to fear hell if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because he can't deny himself. Don't you have an unfair advantage? Aren't you God's spoiled little brats? I don't care what anybody says. There's no sin you can commit after you're truly born again that will ever separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Even if God himself judges you to the point where this cause are many, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep which is dead. Even if God himself ends your physical life, you go straight into his arms in glory. What a blessing, man. How, how, how bad was your life again? I just want to know, how bad is it? I know it's pretty bad sometimes. I realize it's pretty bad sometimes. Honestly, I'm not mocking that. I'm just asking you, how bad really is it? You ain't never going to hell. You don't have to worry about what's going on in this world. I just can't take this world anymore. Let's run off and go be hermits somewhere. I'm not, no, I'd rather stick around where the sinners are. I don't want to miss out on the excitement. I mean, one of my number one regrets is never having been in the military. It's just the thrill of battle, like that idea of that. I mean, I don't know what I'd do if I got there, if I'd cut and run, be yellow. I don't know, but that's one of my biggest regrets. But I feel like I'm, I'm in on something cool because this thing's going to get more intense as time goes on. I just want to hold the fort for he is coming. I want to be there, be faithful to the end. The worst it can get is they kill me. They can't have my soul. Once I'm out of here, I'm good, man. So guess what's going to happen? If you suffer in this life, you're going to have an opportunity to reign with him in the next. A thousand years? You can torture me for a hundred if I get a thousand coming. What a privilege. But even if you go so far as to not to deny him, he can't deny himself and you're his. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What a savior, man. I got a lot more, but I don't have time. Go back to Psalm 88. I have verses to show you about being sealed under the day of redemption and all the rest of that, but I realize I'm preaching to the choir primarily. So, Doctrinally, we're looking at the Jew in the tribulation period, but doctrinally and spiritually, you know what you're looking at? In Psalm 88, you want to know what you're looking at? You're looking at Jesus Christ and what your sin is did to him. Look at the Garden of Gethsemane in verse 3. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I'm telling you right now, folks, there is literally no way that you and I can fathom the amount of trouble his soul was actually in. I asked his 
divine help this morning to, to make something click and to try to get something across to you because I don't even know that I can process it, but I feel like somehow God's given me maybe like a tiny little through a glass darkly. There is no way to comprehend what the Lord Jesus Christ was going through. Has anybody in this room ever felt guilt? I'm talking extreme, don't raise your hands or nothing. Extreme guilt over the colossal level of mess up that you are. Could you imagine being the sinless son of God and taking on the sin of the whole world? Past, present, and future? Have you read your Bible and seen some of the absolute abauchery mankind has committed, evil things men have done? Christians, before you get a hateful spirit towards this lost world and all the homos and fags and LBGBTQ and trans and mentally ill people and all the rest of that that's going on nowadays, before you get a hateful spirit towards them, and boosters and COVID and vaccines and COVID and boosters and boosters. And, sorry, I'm sorry. That's the honey badger in me. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Before you get an evil attitude towards all that, did you ever stop and think that your Savior said, I'll take it. I'll take the punishment for all of it. I'll take it on myself. And he was holy and sinless and harmless. The Son of God. The Bible tells you that in the garden he sweat as it were. Listen to the wording. It's Luke twenty two forty four. if you want to look at it later. He sweat as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Do you know that that's actually a very, very rare medical condition? Ignorant, ignorant, ignorant people mock the Bible think God doesn't know what he's talking about. Hematohydrosis is a very rare condition in which individuals sweat, in which an individual sweats blood. This is not medical misinformation, or boosters, or COVID, or COVID, or boosters. It may occur in an individual who is suffering from extreme levels of stress. Fear and intense mental contemplation are the most frequent causes. Has anybody ever been so scared and so mentally absorbed and so full of trouble that you're sweating under the pressure of it and the sweat, the, 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 a, a watery, bloody mix starts falling off your face while you're sitting there? You ever been that, that bad? Some of you have been stressed out, ain't you? Yeah. I'm just so stressed. I can't make it to church today because I'm stressed. I just need a Sunday morning to sleep in and relax. I just got to be, you know, people stresses me. Yeah, your Savior was stressed too, you selfish little thing, you. It may occur in individuals suffering from extreme levels of stress. Around the sweat glands, there are multiple blood vessels in a net-like form, which constrict under the pressure of great stress. Then as the anxiety passes, the blood vessels dilate to the point of rupture and goes into sweat glands. As the sweat glands produce a lot of sweat, they push the blood to the surface, which comes out as droplets of blood mixed with sweat. Several mental anxiety activities, severe, excuse me, mental anxiety activities, the sympathetic nervous system to invoke stress fight reaction to such a degree as to cause hemorrhage of the vessels supplying the sweat glands. 
into the ducts of the sweat glands. That's how much stress he was under. Oh, you've never been there. We don't have a t- it's an it's a extremely rare thing that according to this, they're still trying to figure out how to treat it. They've found a couple of cases where it happens. And they don't even, looks like they don't even know for sure how to treat it. He said, my full soul is full of trouble. This psalm is a psalm about your Savior. You know what blows my mind? I looked. The commentators almost all miss it completely. They think it's all about me and you. Folks, this is one of the best psalms in the Bible about Jesus Christ and his passion. It makes me want to vomit. <laughs> the passion of the Christ, and then it's all about his physicality. Jesus wasn't swooning and falling apart because he was getting beat. Oh God, not the nails. Oh, not the, not the crown of thorns, Lord. Not a spear. Not the whipping. That was child's play to the Son of God. He turned us back to the smiters. He said, go ahead. He was not afraid of the physical pain. You could tear him to shreds and he wouldn't back off. No idea the amount of man that was there. The Son of God. Give me this garbage. The reason that thing appealed to people is because you're so in tune with your flesh. I can't believe they do that. That's nothing. I mean, you'd let him do that to you for him, wouldn't you? (laughs) You love him enough to where you'd let them do that to you for him, wouldn't you? I mean, gentlemen, would you let him do that to you for your wife? Even if she is a nag? Would you step in the way for one of your kids? It has nothing to do with the physicality of it. The real passion of the Christ is the fact that he was taking on the, the wrath, the billows of the wrath of God that I deserve and he did not deserve. Look at verses 4 through 7. Souls full of agony and then he descends for you and me. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they're cut off from thy hand. This is your Savior. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. That's what I mean, that's why part of the gospel is that he descended first. Folks, he literally, his body went where? To the tomb. His spirit went back to God that gave it. His soul went to hell. He descended first. He had to do something with your sins. And he's eternal, so that's why the passage says, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. There's nowhere to go to get away from God. He's eternally paid your punishment. What a, what a wild thought. Here in his love, not that we loved God. Oh, I just love the Lord so much. He's such a loving Christian. Such a godly man. <coughs> you want to know what love is? It ain't nothing I have for God. I'm trying, man. I want to. I mean, I mean it. I want to, but I know that I fall so far short. I've sinned willfully after that. He washed me in his blood and gave me a new man and said, don't do that, do this. And gave me the power by his Holy Spirit to say no to my flesh. I've still done wrong. 
I've still just shrugged off the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of my Savior. I cannot brag on my love for Him, but hearing His love, not that we loved Him, but that He first loved us and gave His Son to be a propitiation for our sin. The love of God is unbelievable. You cannot fathom it. You cry all you want about your daddy abandoning you, and I, I know how terrible that stuff is. I get it. I'm not mocking it. How terrible the world system is nowadays, how messed up all these guys are and all the rest of that stuff, and it's bad. But that ain't nothing like what Jesus Christ went through. God loved you so much, you don't need a... If your dad's a wicked degenerate, then let him go. Don't fool with him. Don't bother yourself with it. You've got a heavenly father that when your mother and father forsake you, then the Lord will take you up. And he's enough. He delivered his son up for us all. And sent his son to be the propitiation for my sin. He was lonely and betrayed in verse 8, verses 10 and 12. Look at verse 8. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I'm shut up and I cannot come forth. Verse 10. What thou show wonders to the dead, shall the dead arise and praise thee? Shall loving kindness be declared in the grave, or thy faithfulness and destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark, and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I've cried unto thee, O Lord, in the morning shall my prayer prevent me. Lord, why casteth thou off my soul? Why hidest thou face, thy face from me? Do you remember what he said on the cross? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When he cried out to God, the sun shuts off and the earth shakes because the Creator's hanging on the cross. He became sin for us. God forsook him because of you and because of me, because of the sin of the world. That's the horrors of this passage and the darkness that's happening. He's like, oh God. Folks, when he was in that garden and he's sweating, he says, God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what God said? No. And you get bent out of shape because God didn't answer your prayers. You get bent out of shape because something in your life didn't go your way and it's not fair. And I realize a lot of things in this life are not fair. I get it. But we ought to get our eyes off of the minute little unfair things that happen to us and see Jesus Christ kneeling down in that garden praying to the Father in great agony all alone. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. All of his friends, all of his family, everybody forsook him and he's there by himself and then God himself says, You talk about not fair. That's Psalm 88. That's despair. I can't wrap my mind around it, to be honest. I'm trying. God denies this prayer request for you. You know why you got eternal security? Because there's a prayer request he made in that garden. That God heard and said, I'm going to answer all those prayers, but not now. I'm going to make you go through it. And when you come out the other side of it, I'm going to use you in a way that nothing in all of eternity will ever match. The glory cannot be comprehended or understood by a human being. It can be believed, maybe seen darkly through the Bible, 
but you cannot fathom what you're going to see when you get there and see Jesus Christ in his glory. And the Father said, I'm going to let you go through it. And in that process, he said, Father, keep, John 17, through thy name, them that thou hast given to me. And God said, I know what I'll do. I'll come up with something real special in the church age, the bride of Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ. And I'll reveal it to Paul, and it's a mystery. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to circumcise their spirit away from their flesh the day that they trust me by grace through faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved when they repent of what they are and turn to Jesus Christ and say, I want to take your payment for my sin. I don't want to pay it myself. I'll take the gift of salvation. I'll justify them, I'll set them apart, the justification, I'll impute the righteousness of Jesus Christ to them. I'll justify them and I'll impute the righteousness of Christ to them and then I'll cut their soul away from their body to make sure that the sin they continue to commit doesn't defile them and I'll keep them because you asked me to. That's where your eternal security comes from. It don't make sense. You don't deserve it. But it ain't because you're special. It's because Jesus is special. And it meant so much to God that you trust Jesus Christ. If you do nothing else as long as you've been in your entire life, if you do nothing else other than trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll have your praise of God when you get to the judgment seat of Christ. Because you know what? That means everything to the Father after all he put his son through. It pleased God to bruise him. After all he put him through for you. Now here's the application to us. You're in Psalms 88, right? The application of those who've been justified by faith in His shed blood. You hit some times in your life when you're in despair, don't you? You hit some times in your life when you cry to God and you wake yourself up in the middle of the night and God doesn't answer your prayers, don't you? You get discouraged and drugged down. Look, folks, you have trouble with your flesh. You make bad choices you shouldn't have made and you keep making them anyways and then what happens is that God judges you for that. The wrath of God's being poured out in the passage, right? Well, don't you realize that Christians get judged by God? So people misunderstand about the once saved, always saved. It doesn't mean that we just go, oh yeah, I've got my salvation, great, pass the bong. Now, that ain't the attitude of somebody who's born again, trusts in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and understands these doctrines for what they are. You go ahead and pass the bong. Go on. Keep your foot in the bar on Friday night and in church on Sunday morning. Just knock yourself out. Go ahead and cheat on your spouse. Whatever you want to do with your life, do what you want with it. But if you're really born again, you know what God's going to do to you? He whoops his kids. The beauty is you're not going to lose your salvation, but he will deal with you in this lifetime. The most miserable people I've ever met are same people that won't submit to God. And he'll give you over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. For this cause many are weak, sickly, and many sleep. Christians can get to the point where God takes them out because they won't get right. But you don't lose your salvation. You struggle with the flesh. So guess what? When you're in despair because God's whooping you, don't faint when you're rebuked by Him. Things ain't going good. Listen, health problems, family problems, marriage problems, children problems, financial problems. I always get on my knees and say, God, what did I do first? Oh, you preach to us, God's not the angry father always beating you up. Yeah, and I believe that. But I always check. And sometimes I realize, you know what, Lord, you're right. I got this coming. I've been messing up and ain't even been noticing it. Don't fate when you're rebuked by him. 
But that's not all. You don't just have despair from the mistakes you make, like Jonah. Great application to this passage. We don't have time. Mistakes you make, fighting back against God. But you've got a lot of pressure and a lot of despair from the world you're living in, and it's going to get worse. And then you've got a lot of trouble from the devil. I printed out a couple pages from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'm not going to read it all to you. You know, St. Stephen, we talked about already. It says that he was martyred. They cast uh, to such a degree of madness because he preached the gospel to the betrayers and murderers of Christ to such a degree that they uh, cast stones on him and drug him out of the city. They stoned Stephen to death. About 2,000 Christians after that were persecuted, were murdered, and the persecution that arose about Stephen. James the Great, James the son of Zebedee, the the elder brother of John, a relative of our Lord. It was not until ten years after the death of Stephen that the second martyrdom took place. For no sooner had Herod Agrippa been appointed governor of Judea than with a view to ingratiate himself with them, he raised a sharp persecution against the Christians and determined to make an effectual blow by striking at their leaders. And what they did with this guy is uh, they, uh, James the Great, the account given by can't pronounce the guy's name, ought not to be overlooked. James was led to the place of martyrdom. His accusers were brought uh, to repent of his conduct by the apostles' extraordinary courage and undauntedness and fell down at his feet to request his pardon. One of the guys that was trying to get him in trouble actually realized because of his courage that he's got the truth and got saved and they were both martyred together, beheaded at the same time. Philip was scourged, thrown into prison, and afterwards crucified around AD 54, this says. Matthew being slain with a halberd in the city of Nabata, Nadaba, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. You know what a halberd is? It's like an axe with a spear on the top of it. It chopped him up and killed him. James the Less, the brother of our Lord, was elected the oversight of the churches in Jerusalem, was the author of the epistle ascribed to James, which we read just a little bit ago. At the age of 94, he was beaten and stoned by the Jews and finally had his brains dashed out with a fuller's club, like a Thick baseball bat. 90-something-year-old man bashed his brains out. <laughs> what was your problem again? I forgot. Why, why couldn't you make it to church? The pews are uncomfortable? Your arthritis is bothering you? I, I forgot what it was. You're, you're stressed. You're busy, right? Matthias. What a way to go, man. Maybe somebody will bash my brains out when I'm 90 because I'm preaching Jesus. That would be wonderful. 90 sounds good. 45. Uh... He was stoned at Jerusalem. Matthias. Stoned at Jerusalem and then beheaded. Andrew, the brother of Peter, crucified on a cross that was the two ends were fixed transversely to the ground, uh, hence the der- derivation of the term St. Andrew's cross. Mark, dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria. Uh, Peter, uh, crucified upside down because he, uh, he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified like the Lord. Paul uh, gave his neck to the sword. Jude, crucified. Bartholomew was at length cruelly beaten and then crucified by impatient idolaters. Um, Luke, supposed to have been hanged on an olive tree by the idolatrous priests of Greece. Simon, crucified. John, they said they boiled him. History says they boiled him in oil. And it didn't kill him, so they exiled him. That's what history says. But I kept reading. Do you know how many people down through the centuries were tortured to death for Jesus Christ? I'm I'm almost done with the message. You got just a couple more minutes? They took flesh hooks and hook them through their flesh like like 
push it in here like you're a fish and pop it out the, and then rip the muscles off all over their body. Deny Jesus Christ. No. Fish hook them. <clears throat> Called flesh hooks. Deny Jesus Christ. No. They take them and sew them in a leather bag full of serpents and scorpions. Alive. They'd, they'd, tie, they'd tie animal skins on them, sew animal skins to them, and sick wild dogs on them and sit in the amphitheater like a UFC fight and cheer and laugh and watch. Release lions on them. I'm sorry, I forgot what's your problem. What, what was your, why are you discouraged this morning? What, you're, you won't talk about the Lord at work because your friends are making fun of you? I forget what you said. I forget what the excuse was. Couldn't make it to church. Why? Just too busy, huh? Just wore out. I was feeling flushed. My throat was hurting. What, what was that? Your throat was what? You know how many of them were hung? They would make wax shirts. Hard wax like a candle and light them on fire and watch them burn. They'd skin them alive. One woman refused to, to commit fornication or adultery or whatever it would have been with the governor of uh, Sicily. So he hires a woman who's a wicked woman to come in there and just try to brainwash her and brainwash her and brainwash her and brainwash her, just vex her soul by making this vile woman be around her. And when she wouldn't give in, the governor of Sicily got so mad. Let me think back here. He, uh, he, he, he beat her, scourged her to death. I mean, stripped her naked and beat her with a scourging, like ripped the shreds off their back. Then he branded her, hot irons, kept burning her. Then they put her on a a bed of hot coals and glass. And then after all that, they said she suffered it all graciously, refusing to commit fornication because she was a born-again Christian in the name of Jesus Christ. She wouldn't do what she was asked to do. And then after all that, they took her naked body. They said she was a frail, small, beautiful woman. Took her naked body and dumped her in a dungeon and let her lay there until she died. What was your problem again? God's not been fair to you. Why? You can't be a witness, huh, come? I'm just saying, you're in despair, huh? Now watch this. This is what blew my mind about it all. These are the epitaphs on the tombstones and the catacombs. And if I remember correctly, I think it was 600 miles worth of dead bodies in tombs in the catacombs. And they're stacked like they're on a ship. Just these tiny little sections. And there's, and there's epitaphs written on their stones. Martyrs for the faith. Talk about darkness. Talk about the devil let loose on them. Here lies Marcia, put to rest in a dream of peace. Lawrence to his sweetest son, born away of angels. These guys were killed for the faith. Victorious in Christ and in peace. Another one being called away, he went in peace. You know what's wild to me is when you read the stories of these martyrs, God showed up in the middle of their problems and gave them it. I think God does something supernatural when somebody says, no, I won't deny the name of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you think, well, just lie. God knows you're lying. They're like, no, I'm not even going to lie. No, he's my savior. Do you know what he went through to save my soul? This is nothing for me to go through to serve him. This is nothing. Go ahead and kill me. When you compare that to the epitaphs written For these lost people, here's what's on their stones. Live for the present hour since we're sure of nothing else. 
I lift my hands against the gods who took me away at the age of 20, though I had done no harm. Once I was not, now I am not. I know nothing about it, and it is no concern of mine. Traveler, curse me as you pass, for I am in darkness and cannot answer. Those are the epitaphs of lost people that don't have Jesus Christ versus those that were butchered in the church age for the name of Jesus Christ. When you're in despair, follow your Lord's example and don't quit crying out to Him. He said, In the world, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Looking at what they're going to go through in the future and thanking God that we're not looking for that. Looking at what our Savior did for us and thanking God we're never going to have to suffer eternity in the lake of fire because of what Jesus did. Looking at the example of those in our dispensation under our doctrine who suffered the way that he, they did. I'm asking you, is your problems this morning enough to drive you away from the Lord? Did somebody really in church offend you that bad? Is your life really that hard? And if you're getting there and it's feeling like it, why don't you draw closer to him? Maybe some of you this morning just need to sign up no matter what comes, what happens, come hell or high water, I want to be with you, God, and I'm willing to sign up. Help me have the guts to stand with you till I die. God will not necessarily deliver you from the lion's den or from the furnace. But God will deliver you in the lion's den and in the furnace. I promise. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.